Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Hello and welcome back to Codish. My name is Jonan Scheffler. I am a developer advocate at Heroku and I am joined here today uh, by a very special guest who's having a hard time <laughs> controlling his laughter, having only just now learned uh, that we're talking about Codish, my podcast here at Heroku. <laughs> he didn't know the name until just now. Is that what's funny? Is Codish yes. is a name? It's a good name, isn't it's it? It's a very good yeah. name. Because it's, it's Code-ish. We're kind of talking about code. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's a Pokemon. Codish is Codish. a Pokemon? Well, I don't know if it is or is not. Is it really? I, no. Oh, no, that no, would no, make it so cool. It sounds like a Pokemon. It sounds like a Pokemon. That's why I was laughing. I'm like, this is the, the, po- the Pokemon? The programming podcast for Pokemon people. So, uh, <laughs> we uh, thought the name was very funny because it's a Pokemon, but also you should maybe tell people, you know, who you are. Oh, my name is, my name is Aaron Patterson. I am also known on the internet as Tenderlove, that's my nickname. Uh, I work for a small startup company called GitHub. Uh, a recent acquisition of another small startup, startup company. company called Microsoft, yes. you can tell they're small, that it has, has micro in the name. Right in the name. Uh, I, I am on the Rails core team and I am also on the Ruby core team. Um, Are you, you were one of the first to be on both. I'm but the only one. Still. Still, The yeah. only one. Still. So I brought you here today to talk all about a lot of things, but um, mostly about Ruby and Rails because we have a, a, an advantage in having you here that you are on both of those teams and very few people are. So uh, first of all, I want you to tell me a little bit about your background, like how you got into this in the first place because you were not a Ruby, you, you stumbled upon Ruby and then you got involved in Ruby core development. You wrote yes. something else first. Tell us about your background. Uh, well, I first discovered Ruby in, I want to say, like, I think 2005, around, the, around 2005. Um, I was working at a, another startup company that is, I think, dead now, classmates.com. Oh, and no. I did, <gasps> yes. You worked for classmates.com. That's so awesome. <laughs> yes. Awesome. All right, wait, they're gone now, right? They're totally done? So uh, can... I don't know. Like, I don't know. If they're around, they're uh, former shell of themselves, I'm sure, but... Describe like, classmates.com uh, for some of the viewers of the internet who joined later than us. Uh, what, what was classmates.com? It was, honestly, I would say that it was like the very first, probably one of the the start of social networks, I think. It basically. really was. Yeah, it basically. It was supposed to be an online yearbook. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, so it was an online yearbook. Basically, you go online and you could see a list of all the people that you graduated with, or any year, really, and then you could email them, you could just email them, and... The way that they made money is they charged you to email your friends. To basically. catch up with your old friends. Yep. Or you could just lurk and silently judge all of your peers and compare your accomplishments. Yes. Yeah, yes, always a exactly. healthy way to use social media. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> so uh, while I was working there, I discovered, well, I was a Java programmer at the time. I used to be a Perl programmer before that, and I, I did not like being a Java programmer. And I kept thinking, oh, Perl 6. This is going to destroy Java. So Perl was going to destroy the world. And yes, and I'd be like, I can go back to Perl. It'll be amazing. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, you should check out this programming language, Ruby. So I think I think I had friends. Uh, yes, I had friends who went to the uh, No Fluff, Just Stuff 
okay. conference, and they saw Dave Thomas give talks about Ruby, and they brought it back to the office and showed me, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is what I've been waiting for. Was there anything about your Pearl experience that made it more attractive to you early on? I know oh, Ruby has sure. a lot of similarities, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was like, using Ruby was like, this. I was like, this is what I wish Pearl was like. Ah, so it had like nice OO, it had the great OO features of Java and the easy ease of use of like a scripting language like Perl, um, but without all the like crappy stuff from Perl. Well, most, like it still has some of the crappy stuff from Perl, but, but not, not as much. The majority of it. And yes. I, I, so I never wrote Perl, but I do know of Perl that it can be, you can accomplish the same thing with different syntax in a way that you can make your Perl code intentionally incomprehensible oh, if, yeah. you, if you aim to. For and sure. that's a thing that's actually kind of hard to do in Ruby. I mean, you can definitely do it. People do Ruby golf and like yeah. that. But Ruby as a language, it all, it encourages you, certainly. I'm going to say it almost forces you. It encourages you to write your code in a way that is human readable. And Perl necessarily didn't didn't necessarily have that. I would say that is an accurate assessment. Okay. Yes. Uh, but that, that notwithstanding, you recognized some of the features from Perl in yes, Ruby. Yes, for sure. And you enjoyed those, and so you stuck around. Yep, yep. Like, for example, uh, doing doing regular expressions in Ruby is very similar to doing it in Perl. And I mean, since, like, as a web developer, 99% of your job is slinging text, right. like, making strings, That's basically, what we're doing, right? right? Yeah, that's all we're doing. So regular expressions is, like, a really important tool to have in your, in your toolbox. So that was nice, especially compared to Java's regex support at the time. It was, like... Honestly, I don't know what doing regex is, is like in Java these days, but back then in in 2005, it was like terrible, horrible. There are different, um, so I'm not well-versed in the world and depth of history that is regexes. I mean, like this stuff goes away. There are different standards for how regexes operate, and you can't mm -hmm. expect your syntax to be applied generally. That's correct. So right now in Ruby, we use a specific uh, type of regex, mm -hmm. and, and we support this standard, right? Yes. Uh, and, and, and the case uh, was not always there. Like when, back when you were in Java, we, would a Java regex operate the same way in the Ruby world? One of those ones you had written a long time ago? No, no, no. Like, I mean, each regex engine or each language typically has its own regular expression engine. Like, uh, Ruby uses one called Oniguruma. Oniguruma. Yes. yes. Oniguruma. Yes. And it it has different support than, I mean, it's very similar, to, but has different support than PCRE, which is the Perl regular expression engine. Uh, and that one has very different support than POSIX regular expressions. And if you use like if you use some tools like grep, you'll use by default POSIX regular expressions that are like way more of a pain than PCRE. But you can usually use a switch to say like I want to use Perl style. So, so in my Ruby code, what am I using? PCRE? No, you're using Oniguruma. I'm using Oniguruma specific. That's, yes, you are. You are, but they are. You're using it, but they stole a lot of it from PCRE. So, so it's not even that, that I could say Oniguruma is PCRE compliant. They're distinct. There are things that Oniguruma yeah, can do that PCRE cannot do. Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. So there's, the portability of regexes is, is uh, not there necessarily. But for no. most things that people are doing, unless you're doing anything complex. Yeah, it's mostly, it's, it's very similar. Like it's, right. mostly, it's mostly the same. Like for some things, like, um, you know, when you do a plus operator, that doesn't work in, um, that doesn't work in POSIX regexes. You have to do a, yeah. You have to do one character, then the same character, and a star. 
Ah, okay. Right. So all of these differences add up to me not being able to take my regexes wherever I want. Yes, yeah. and yeah. and you're like, oh, I'd kind of like to use said one of these days, and you try, and you're like, this is garbage at the table. Yes, yeah. what am I doing? It's so. very confusing and very opaque and difficult to learn about all the very different syntax pieces. Uh, syntax pieces. So you. Uh, we're saying though that like this is one of the examples of features that brought you into Ruby. How long was it after you discovered Ruby that you ended up uh, getting involved with the core development of Ruby? I'm not 100% sure, but I was on the, um, I, I think I got onto the Ruby core team before I got onto the Rails core team, <laughs> even though I was like a Rails developer. Like that's, so. As, you started out as a Rails developer and you ended yeah. up being on the Ruby core before you were on Rails core. Yes, that's yeah. correct, yep. Uh, yep. What, you were already doing Rails when, uh, like, shortly after you discovered Ruby, you jumped right into Rails, or yeah. I, so I learned about I learned about Ruby, learned about Ruby, and it was awesome. And then I saw DHH's uh, uh, weblog thingamajig, the famous video that the made video, Rails viral, the video thing, and I was like, yeah. oh my god, this is you know we would do all this stuff. I used to, so the our web framework that we did used in Perl had many of the same features that Rails had. Uh, Java, our Java web framework had none of those features and a whole bunch of XML. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do that. Like, I want to do Rails. I want to do it. Uh, so I, some friends of mine quit working at Classmates to start a startup and they decided to do it in Rails. So I quit and went with them and that's awesome. how I got my first, my first Rails job. And this was in a, in a day when there were not many people working no, Rails, right? No, I took a 30% pay cut to uh, be yeah, yeah. a Rails developer, yes. But I think long term maybe you could say that worked out for you. I for, think it did. Yeah. yeah, it did. It worked out. It was a good, like, it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get involved with Rails development, eventually get involved with the Ruby core mm -hmm. stuff. And now that you're working at GitHub, I so you have been in a position for a while at a couple different companies where you are paid to be you, to contribute to the open source projects ostensibly uh, <laughs> that you have been working at. And I mean, it often comes up where someone who has a lot of experience in open source, they're hired on by a company essentially as a sponsor of those technologies. There's a lot of value for GitHub in having someone who is Ruby Core and Rails Core yes, inside the house, yes. right? Mm -hmm. You. Uh, have a lot more information about what things are going on in the community and where things are headed and you can prepare your company for unexpected changes when you know for example that uh, the next release of Rails is going to get rid of active record. We're yes. throwing it all uh, away. We're throwing it away. We've decided this ORM layer is not the way to do it. We're just going back to SQL. Yeah, heads just up, a heads up everybody. <laughs> then you can start writing all your SQL statements into your code again. Yeah, yeah, there is there's there's a lot of advantages. I mean, I know like I know what's coming up in the language or in the framework. Not only that, but like we can say so. In our in our case here, where we wanted to throw away Active Record, since I'm at GitHub and we use Active Record, I can be like, hey, no, wait a minute, everybody, we actually use this. This is important to our business. And since I'm on the, those core teams, I can say like, I actually. My voice matters. Right. Basically. They trust your yeah. judgment yeah, as I'm someone like, who produces I these. I think throwing away Active Record might be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, really? Oh, right. Well, you are on the core team. So. We'll keep it. Yep. Let's okay. keep it. <laughs> um, so as part of this, then, I guess what, what I'm asking is really the balance. Because I know that a lot of times... Uh, 
companies hire into these positions and then they're like, oh, we happen to have a very qualified Rubyist inside the house, someone who could debug a particularly gnarly uh, memory leak error we've had with Rails for years and years. Why don't we sick Aaron on that problem also? In addition to the regular work you're doing on Ruby and Rails, and is this a thing that happens at GitHub and how do you balance it? You know? <laughs> this is absolutely a thing <laughs> at GitHub that happens. Uh, well, I mean, of course, whenever whenever we have problems like that, I am more than happy. I'm happy to help out with those. I love I love diving into interesting problems like that. But basically, what we do is I'm essentially the the final line of attack. I don't think we have it's. I don't think we have any hard and fast rules about it. It's just kind of like an unsaid. Are you like support tier seven? There's yes. like there's yes. the Aaron Patterson tier, basically yes. the nuclear option. Two people yep. have to turn a key at the same time to send you a ticket, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we're sending it up. <laughs> click, 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 Slack message. <laughs> there goes your day. Yep. Your pager duty goes off. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's fine. Like, most most of the time, people just, like, they, they only ping me if it's something that's, like, really, really hard to fix and I can't figure it out. Uh, but I don't, like, I don't mind helping with that stuff. I like helping with it, especially because typically it turns out maybe it's a bug in Ruby or a bug in Rails and... I'm probably the most qualified person to fix it. And so, you might have even written it. Yes. That, that those is, are fun that ones, is, I bet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, that's a fun one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, but it's not bad. I, I mean, the balance is, I don't, I don't do anything specifically to help the balance or to, to balance my time. Just I rely on my coworkers' discretion to help. To help that. filter that out, yeah. and you don't actually have to do any extra. They're respecting your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so I mean, obviously GitHub is a very nice place to work. There are lots of brilliant people there. Many of the the developers I know that I respect tremendously uh, have ended up at GitHub over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but this this balancing of the open source thing is a very common problem for people who end up in your position, where someone is hired on to be uh, almost like an, a sponsored position, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's this this frequent discussion that comes up about uh, charity and business or, or, or just more that like every time I go to a manager and I'm like, hey, we should do a thing for open source. Not every time, but at times in my career, I've gone to a manager and they have said things to me like, hey, this is a business, not a charity. But my point to them is um, you are using Linux to run your servers and without the grace of the open source community, you'd be paying for SQL Server licenses, right? Uh, and and how much is that compared to the salary of one developer to throw down on some open source and get all the advantages that you reap from having someone dedicated to open source within your company? Yeah, right. Including the the huge network of professionals that you know in the industry, right? I, I think situations often come up for GitHub where they're putting together a a third party integration with some company. They come to Heroku and they're like, Hey, does anyone know anyone at Heroku? Yeah, Aaron does. Aaron knows everybody in the yeah. community, right? Yep. They end up being very well-connected people, these people who are doing this open source work. And I just wish that there was an easier way to ensure that you are going to be paid well for a long time to do this. <laughs> now now that you're under this this other Microsoft startup, yes. I have faith that those checks are going to keep coming. Somehow, I feel like that Microsoft company is going to make it through any potential tech bubbles. But it's kind of a problem, right? Like yeah. There have been a number of times where large numbers of open source contributors from major projects have been laid off by a company, and it seriously impacted those projects. For sure. I think, well, I think one of the things, I mean, one of the things that I do personally to help uh, mitigate situations like that is make sure that I demonstrate demonstrate my value to the company and I do it I do it clearly through speaking to people through my network etc things like that but also like 
Uh, I spend time looking at our the performance of our application, what developers are trying, what are the devs at work actually trying to accomplish with Ruby and with Rails, and what are the shortcomings that, that the framework and language have, and how can I, like, as a Rails core developer, as a Ruby core developer, what can I do to uh, make the lives of my coworkers better, right? right? And when I work on that, like I work on that type of stuff, give wins to my coworkers, and then the whole business becomes more productive because of that. So that's that's one of the things that I do to, you know, show, I don't know, value, show value, yeah, doing. show value for what I do. But I also like to do, I also like to do things like, you know, mentor people at work, help sure. level them up, do that, do that type of work as well. It's so, so fulfilling, right? This is yes. one of my favorite parts about being a grown-up uh, software developer who sometimes knows a little bit more than someone else about something, kind mm -hmm. of. Uh, and I get to sit down and teach, yes. and I always end up learning more in that process. Well, you learn, you learn more, and then when you can see that, like, when you can see that they're now more productive and you know, everything's just getting better. You're like, wow, the whole, the entire situation is just improved. And you're like, yes, Through a yes. direct effort of my, it's like, yes. it's a very gratifying experience. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so moving forward, do you think that you've seen a, a model that works to protect people in this position? Like where, wh what company have you seen that is doing this thing really well where they're like, all right, well, here's, you're talking about basically like that communicating the work is as important as doing the work. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking about sharing the value that you're presenting to your company yep. um, regularly. That will help. But aside from GitHub, who obviously has no flaws, I think we can agree. <laughs> Thank you, GitHub. None. For yes. Yeah. Yes, no flaws. Yes. Um, what What kinds of like mistakes have you seen companies make with regard to having a dedicated open source developer, or uh, what kind of things have you seen them do well? Uh, I think. I mean, I think GitHub is doing particularly well. I would say, I mean, the honestly, the crown jewel best example would be like Red Hat. Right. I mean, you can't really beat that. Uh, but that's also pretty difficult because they built their entire their entire business model is on top of open source open source software. So like, they got to do it. Um, honestly, Microsoft is doing really well with yeah. supporting open source developers. Um, and we're not just saying that because they pay your checks. That Actually, is correct. Yes. I, I would not have guessed even three years ago that Microsoft would have the respect that they have in developer communities today. I, I have to agree. It's yes. really impressive what they've yep. done. Yep. Uh, who else is doing well? Oh, Heroku. Oh, that one Heroku the company. Heroku. Oh, yeah, I like those guys. They're great. <laughs> yeah. I think they're. I think they're doing well with this regard too. But I mean. There, there is many different examples. I think the problem is it's just a pretty rare job, right? Like, if you think of the number of developers there are in the world and the percentage of those developers that do open source, it's a very tiny, like, very small subset of the sea of developers out there. So having job that is open source job is, like, probably going to be... Uh, just as rare, right? right? Same, basically the same ratio, same percentage. So when you um, started getting involved with with Ruby, if people who really love Ruby a lot, they sometimes head towards being Ruby core developers. At which points they they stop writing Ruby, which is sad because mm. you get really excited about Ruby, you love this language so much, you want to help build it, and then you're writing C. Yeah. And you wrote C before. 
yes. you got into Ruby. But talk correct. about maybe that process because that transition is really hard. I think we limit ourselves sometimes as a community because I mean, well, I'm not suggesting there's an easy solution, of course, but I'm saying that like most of the people who use Ruby write Ruby yep. don't necessarily have the C skills to get in there in the code and contribute to it. If it was all written in Ruby, for example, as like has been dreamt of many times in the past. Ruby has said the project to write Ruby in Ruby, yeah. right? Um, what the advantage there is that, that, that all of the members of the community are able to contribute to the, the language itself. So talk about sure. what it was like for you to start. I mean, it was kind of hard, kind of hard at first, but like basically, well, I don't know. I mean, I already had, like I already had C programming experience before. So when I went looking at Ruby source code, like I wasn't that intimidated by the C, the C code. And actually Ruby C code is pretty darn good. But the thing is, like, um, I think there's a difference between writing in Ruby and implementing a language. Like, just because just because you can write in Ruby doesn't mean you have the chops to write a language. That's so, true. It's a very different style of program is what I think that you're, like, I recently uh, had opportunity to write a game for the first time and working within a game loop and, like, learning all of the pitfalls that commonly come up in these worlds. Mm -hmm. It's a very different way to think about writing software. So when sure. you're writing and when you're actually implementing a language, it's a much different experience, obviously, than just using a language. Yeah, I mean, of course, Ruby is way easier to use than C, for sure. Yeah. But um, some of the things, like, some of the virtual machine optimizations that Ruby uses require direct memory access, which is not something that you have necessarily in Ruby. So not only do you need to expose direct memory access in Ruby, but you also need to understand what the implications are of doing direct memory access. For right? Ruby, right, yeah. Yeah, so you're not, just, you're not just doing Ruby programming, you're also messing with the machine, too. So it's... Mm, it would be nicer if mo more of Ruby Core was implemented in Ruby, but I understand why it's not. I and mean, you also see, I think, um, that it wouldn't be of that much value if it were. Uh, I mean, it would be easier to read. Yeah. I mean, reading like C syntax sucks. It's bad. Like, it's not good. It's not fun to read. Right. It would be a lot easier to read. If it, it would be a lot easier to read if it's in Ruby, but that doesn't necessarily make it easier to contribute to. I think. So if I want to get started in Ruby. I am a, a C developer. Maybe I got my degree and did my work in C for a school. Mm -hmm. And now I want to go uh, today. In mm -hmm. the next hour, you and I are going to sit down and pair on some issue. Mm -hmm. Where would I go to find those things? Oh, you can go to Ruby's Redmine and read through read through the issues there. Uh, Redmine is where Ruby keeps their issue tracker. I'll link bugs, that in the show notes. Bugs.ruby-lang.org. You can go through and read those. Okay. Uh, it is a website. But if I find a bug on there... And no one's commented on it. Yeah. I'm like, this one's uh, mine. I'm going to do it. And I put mm -hmm. my little comment on there. I may very well find out that someone is actually working on that bug already. Yeah. Because I didn't check the schedule of place where people are working on things. Now, if I understand there's a meeting in Tokyo where people get together and they talk about what features they're going to pick up that month. That is that is correct, yes. Okay. Yes. And so then um, is it possible that someone would have already... if. The, all of the bugs are assigned already as they come in, right? During the triage no, 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 no. Uh -uh. They just come in and they're unassigned. So if you find one that's unassigned, like... Safe bet that no one's working on it. Yep. Okay. And then I could uh, raise my hand up and say, I'll take a crack at this. Yes, for okay. sure. And then I, I write up my, my patch and I'm working with SVN to get that up. Yeah, you don't have to. So so Ruby Core, we do, like, our main repository is SVN, not Git. Though we're in the process of changing it to Git. But we also have a we have a mirror on GitHub, 
and you can just go clone the mirror. And so and then I could work there. And this is actually, I think, uh, the one time that I ever got a commit into Ruby, it was immediately ripped back reverted, out again because yes. I broke it. But then the revert, I recently found out yesterday. So I, I wrote this uh, with Aaron's help probably three years ago when I was at New Relic, I think. Um, and I broke Windows with my, my commit. But I was so pleased with myself that I had a commit in Ruby. I was so proud. It was like my proudest accomplishment. And then I see Aaron like six months later. He's like, oh, you didn't see... Or he walked up to me. He's like, "I'm so sorry about that commit." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Oh, you didn't see. We had to revert we it. We had to revert it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But now it, the revert is back. Reverted. The revert is reverted. And, so you, it's uh, back. Yes, <laughs> I'm back. I have a commit in Ruby. I'm so proud of myself. Yep. yep. Um, so as far as workflow goes, when I did this, you can create a PR against the Git repo, and yep. then someone who has access to the SVN will take care of getting it in there for. That's you. correct. Yep. Yeah. 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 You can send a. You can send. I mean, our our workflow is different than just a straight up. GitHub workflow, but you can send a PR and and any core team member that's like, yeah, that's good. They just basically manually merge it. Yes, they just manually merge it in there and then put your name on it and everything. Yep. Yep. Somewhere there exists a thing that says Jonan in the history of Ruby. That is correct. Yes. I've done it, folks. You I've did finished it. this lifetime's work. What you know? What's cool though is your commit now. Like when they ship out Ruby with like Mac OS, now your commit is on like. I'm All on those Max. machines. Yeah, that's totally. really cool. Isn't that cool? My name exists as text on New Max. Yes, that's awesome. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> great. Good job, me. So uh, let's talk about Ruby. I guess uh, this is maybe we're we're going to change tax here a little bit. I want to talk about what um, you would want in. Ruby core that you could just have magically right now. Like you don't have to, as a team, expend any effort to have a thing. Mm -hmm. What's the thing that you're like, man, I wish we already had that in Ruby core, a feature, dream feature. Yep, that is a very easy question to answer. Uh, I would like a syntax for read-only data structures. A syntax for read-only data structures. Or, so I have a hash, but nobody gets to write to it. Yeah, or a way, and I would like that and a way to say that a particular data structure is read-only, but Basically, similar to freeze, the freeze method, but um, a freeze method that is recursive and goes deep. Because right, like Isn't if there you're a deep freeze, or there was a deep freeze. No, there's not. No. Okay. I think that might be. We might define that in Rails, but it's not a That's Ruby. That's what it is. It's not a Ruby of. thing. Yeah. So you can like, like right now, if you have a hash, you can freeze the hash, but the members of the hash are still mutable. Right. I would like to be able to say like, no, this whole thing is like everything in here is read only. The yes. whole thing is read only. So the, the values, the, just to break this down a little bit, I have a hash and it has two keys in it, A and B, pointing mm -hmm. to one and two. If Even if I freeze this hash, the A and the B cannot be changed, but the, the value one stored at the A key can be changed. Is this uh, what you're saying when it doesn't freeze deep? It's, it's actually, for a deep freeze, we're talking more about the case where A has a hash itself. The value right. of yes, A yes, is yes. not one. The value yes. of A is a hash with C and D in it and three and four. Yes. And that hash can be changed. Yep, exactly. Only the key part of this key value situation here is, or rather, if, if the value, the hash couldn't be swapped out for an array, for example, at the top level, right? If, I, if I've frozen a hash, I have a hash that says A uh, is empty hash, right? Okay. I couldn't, I freeze that, that hash. Mm -hmm. I couldn't then uh, you couldn't say mutate the hash. A equals array. But I could change, I could add all sorts of things, key value pairs to that hash. No, uh, no, 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 You no. can't if mutate you, the hash at all. You can't mutate the hash. So if you said like hash.freeze, you, you cannot mutate the hash anymore. But if you had like, let's say the hash had a, a key that's A, and then A pointed to an array. Yeah. 
you could so you could freeze the hash and that hash would be, be frozen. Be, be frozen. It's immutable. You can't add anything or delete anything from it. But the array that's inside of that hash, you can still mutate that and change it around. Add numbers around in there. Yeah, do whatever so you want. Freezing. When we talk about deep freeze, we're talking about freezing down through multiple layers through of like all nested of it. hash. Yeah. So if you, structure. in that case, it would be like, oh, the hash is frozen, but also the array inside of the hash that's also frozen. All the whole thing's frozen. So, so. I, your dream feature would be to just have a simple piece of like syntactic sugar you could put it in a in a hash declaration that says this can't change. Yeah, I would like. Well, I would like a thing that's like, okay, I'm going to declare a complex complex hash. Like it's got a hash with a bunch of keys, and those keys point to com other hashes, and maybe those hashes point to other hashes. There might and be I, a puppy in there. Yeah, somewhere, exactly. You got. I want to be able to say like, this whole thing, read only. Right. And I want to be able to do that for. I want to do that at runtime too. So like for example, you could change the JSON parser to say like, okay, when you JSON parser when you parse a hash. I want you to make sure that that hash is frozen. Right. So when you get it back out, like nobody can mutate what came what came out of the JSON parser, for right. example. Ah, which would be uh, super valuable because end up you you it makes it easier to find errors and bugs and things. Like yeah, that. exactly. If things are handling this JSON after it comes out of the parser, then you may be blaming the wrong part of your stack for yep. a problem. Yep. Right. Exactly. Um, so what feature would you cut if you could throw something away? Oh, I would probably get rid of. Um, I get rid of a lot, a lot of the global variables, like the dollar magic oh, variables, like dollar yeah. one, dollar two, those things. I get rid of those. Uh, I think a popular answer to this question is the flip flop operator, but I would not get rid of the flip flop operator. I like the flip flop operator. You use the flip flop operator yeah, every time I go to the beach. <laughs> I walked right into it, and you set me up for it, and I could tell it was coming. There's like this look you get in your eye, and I, I always know I'm walking, and I, yet I do every time. Uh, so this feature that you would take out would be kind of uh, all of the little bits that got left around. These these dollar variable things. That these are, are all pearl. pearl. Yeah, pearlisms. Yeah, I would get rid of the I would get rid of the dollar ones, dollar twos, those those things if I could. So. Um, I wanted to ask you about the future of Ruby as a language. Like, what do you think moving forward is the biggest barrier to Ruby adoption? It's possible in 20 years that we're talking about the extinction of Ruby. This thing people always say, Ruby is dead, that they've said every year forever. And Ruby is, of course, very much alive and kind of killing it. Um, but, but someday it may come to pass that that is the case, and maybe not. But, but what could we do to grow Ruby adoption? What do you think is the biggest obstacle today? So it's a weird because like people say, oh, we, Ruby doesn't do Ruby doesn't do uh, say non-blocking I/O, but it does. Just the people who say that don't know how to do it, and it's uh, not easy. Right. Like you can do it, it's just not easy. Yeah. So if we had easier ways, easier ways to do that. But I really think the best the best well two things would help push it forward more. One is um, one is the jit, mm -hmm. getting the jit, getting it so that it's actually fast. Right, uh, and then the other thing is um, better concurrency uh, or better par better parallelism. Right, the mean. distinction between parallelism and concurrency, and concurrency yes. is explained very well by someone I can't remember, but there's like a presentation I have in my notes somewhere 
to go back to about this exact thing. I'll yes. look it up for our viewers. Parallel, parallelism is running two things at the same, or running many things at the same time. Concurrency is switching back and forth between multiple things right. over time. It's just like a, a process gets scheduled by the CPU. It's like, okay, yep. you can go and B, you can go, but A and B are not ever running at the same exact time. The same exact time. time. No, right. no, not That's at all. That's a concurrent model, which is mostly what people do today concurrent programming, but um, Ruby is difficult to parallelize because of the global interpreter lock. Yeah, yeah, we do. When you do parallel programming in Ruby, it's actually, well, there's so many caveats to this. When you do parallel programming in Ruby, it's mostly concurrent, basically. Yeah. We've reached the end of our, our um, podcast here. Do you want to share anything else with our users far and wide? I don't know. I, I don't have anything to share. Like. Give advice to new developers coming out into the Ruby community. Find something you like to do and do it. it. Yeah. Find something you're passionate about. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you actually because I find uh, nothing more interesting than talking to someone when they're excited about their topic and they're really passionate about what they're yes. involved in. Which is why I like to talk to you about Ruby and Rails because I can tell <laughs> after so many years you're still very passionate I see, about yes, it. Yes, I'm very, I'm very passionate about it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.